So uh, I know that we, we celebrate the Ten Commandments, and you know we've talked about the Ten Commandments in the past, about not being a, a, a list of rules that you can follow, but being a list of rules that recognizes that you can't even get the basics of the Christian faith right. And in the Ten Commandments, is, it's one of them is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. But I am a man of grace and mercy, and I'm going to give you about 30 seconds of coveting this morning. I'm going to can I have a chair. Can I, can I just have a chair? Thank you. Do you remember what happened the last time you stood on your chair? Yes, I know. I got fired, but that's okay. I'm going to allow you to covet my rattlesnake skin boots. Okay? Just, just 30 seconds. Go ahead. Ha, 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 ha. Okay? No, I will slip and fall. Now, I want you all to take a moment and repent, because uh, that's, that's what we do. I, didn't, I, I did not murder them, but I will wear them as, as part. They, they are quite nice. I've wanted a pair since I was like 20 years old, and now... No, no. <laughs> Some things counseling cannot fix. It's, it's, I, I am. <laughs> and you know, I looked for my spur because back in my scooter trash days, I used to wear a spur because you could shift better, but I couldn't find it. So Sandy is just shaking her head like, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I digress. So Christmas is just around the corner. Do you believe it? This is week four of Advent. I mean, we've gone through three weeks already and Christmas Eve is Friday night. Everybody done with all of their preparation that they need to do? Yes. Christmas shopping is done. Presents are wrapped under the tree. Everybody is just kicked back and relaxed right now. I could see it in all your faces. You're just like, oh, you're done. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. You know, this, this, time, this season, we, we decided that we were going to try to engage Advent for what it is. It's not, just, it's not just a time for getting together with friends and family. It's not just a time for exchanging gifts. It's not just, Christmas is not just the celebration of one day in our calendar. It's not even just the celebration of a historical event. But we wanted to engage it for what it was. And it's, it's the promises of God being fulfilled by God himself. It's a time of preparation that we would begin to prepare our hearts for the celebration of the Messiah. That, that God came to this world to walk among his people. And he promised certain things. And we celebrate those promises. And so a bunch of, three weeks ago, we, said, we started off with wrestling with this idea of hope. And, and, and hope is just this intense human experience that has brought people throughout generation and generation through some of the toughest parts and times of their lives. And we hold on to hope. But you can't put hope in the things of this world. You can't put hope in your job, in money, in your family, in your spouse. You can't put your hope in government. You can't put it in politicians. Listen, I don't care if you are part of the tea party or you're kicking it at a keg party. Hope in the things of this world will not deliver. You will ultimately be very, very 
disappointed. And so we put our hope in something else. We put our hope in God himself. As a follower of Jesus, that's where we anchor everything. That one day he will fulfill his promise. That he will restore all things back to the way they were. That he will redeem all things back to the way he initially created them. But we live in this world and we are in the day-to-day grind every day. And we press on to live as authentically as we can in these experiences and have faith that, that there are still possibilities for God to show himself even when it doesn't look like there's any possibility at all. Just because, just because God is so we hope. And then we moved, we wrestled with the idea of peace. And we said it's not necessarily the peace of God, which is something we all want to have in our lives. That idea, that, that feeling that everything is going to be okay, even when things are not okay. That, that sense that God has got your back no matter what you're going through. But the reality of it is, and we were just trying to be honest, that the peace of God, it just, it just ebbs and flows in our lives. And we all wrestle with worry and anxiety and stress. These are the realities of humanity. And we come, we come into seasons of those. And then we, we leave those seasons. And so, and so, you know, the peace of God, it just, it just kind of, you know, it's not just all about faith. Or, or, or faithlessness, or, you, you know, you, you shouldn't look down on yourself because, man, I'm just really stressed out about whatever. I've got worry, and I must not have any faith. You know what? We live in a broken world, and we are broken people. And if you have perfect faith, well, we're going to nail you to the cross because that's the only other person in the world that had it, Jesus Christ. And so, and so we, we wrestle with those things. But Advent peace is not the peace of God. Advent peace is peace with God. And that does not come and go. That does not ebb and flow. For the follower of Jesus Christ, that is rock solid. That is the foundation where you can build your life on because it's not based upon us. It is solely based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that he paid for our sin, that we can finally be at peace with God. The scriptures tell us that, that before Christ, that, that our natural state is we are enemies with our creator, with our father. And, and that when the way we think in our mindset produces in us behaviors that are, that are evil in his sights. But because of Jesus, because of his coming, humanity has a chance now to be reconciled to the father. That our relationship with him can be restored. Faith in Christ brings us to a place once and for all. We are at peace with God. We are no longer his enemy. We no longer walk in darkness. We have shalom. And then last week, Ed spoke about the idea of of joy. And he he, he began began with the idea of worldviews. He said, really, there's only two worldviews, he argued, the theistic and a the naturalistic. And if I could just kind of um, make it simple, uh, the naturalistic worldview would be man is in control. We got this. And a theistic worldview is there's a supreme being in control. 
And so if we take that theistic worldview and we move it to the Jesus follower, we develop in that our Christian worldview. And we would say that the God of the Bible is in control. And the foundation of our joy is believing and living that truth. That the God of the Bible is in control. Because that affects your heart. That affects your mind. And that affects your behaviors, your reactions, and your actions. Our lens that we should see everything through should be the lens of Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of the last three weeks in summary of Advent. And then I gave you, I gave you some kingdom experiments. Some ways that possibly you can make your faith shine in this time, in this time of year. That you would allow your faith to motivate you to action. That if Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and he is pro- his promise to us is that we can do greater things than he has done, that means that we can shine even brighter into the world. And I gave you some ideas that you would shine bright for Christ into the world. And I hope, I hope some of you Took those seriously. I hope that some of you actually engage those in some way because, because that's what it's about. It's about the people being the church, not people going to church. Are we the church out there or do we just come to church at the Grange? And the Sunday after Christmas, I want people to share those stories, God's stories. What is God doing in your life? How did you engage these kingdom experiments? How did you see God move? Or maybe God is moving in some other way in your life. And I want to share those stories the day after Christmas on, on that Sunday. And we're going we're gonna to worship, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to tell God's stories. And you know, you know it's, <laughs> some of you are thinking, that's going to be a good day to miss church. I think I'll sleep in that day. And if you thought that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sad for you. Because you missed the point. You've missed the point of your faith. You've missed the point of Christmas. And it's a good possibility that you have become stagnant in your own faith journey. Because it's not just about church. It's not just coming to hear me talk or somebody talk. It's not just about singing the songs. It's about recognizing that God has a plan to reconcile all things in this world. And how are we going to become part of that plan? How do we engage that plan? That's what faith is. That's what Christmas is about. God had a plan and he came down and he took action on that plan and he calls us to do the same. You, you still have time. There's, if, if you need the kingdom experiments again, I will email them to you. But we're going to share stories about what God is doing in the lives of his people. Don't waste time. Got one more week. And so now as we enter in the last week of preparation, not the last week of shopping, which I know some of you got that on your mind, but the last week of preparation for Advent, we need to talk about the love of God. And I know that I said that I was going to be preaching through the lectionary. I've taken some creative license and I've threw away the lectionary this week. I didn't throw it away, but I just decided not to preach from it. Uh, because I believe in order for us to 
look at God's love for his people, we have to start at the beginning. We have to start at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, confused. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, first day. A little side note I want to share with you. Do you know why in the Jewish tradition that their Sabbath is on Saturday, but it starts Friday night, and it ends on Saturday night? And then Sunday actually begins in the Jewish tradition on Sunday evening, on, on, I'm sorry, on Saturday evening and goes to Sunday night. And Monday actually begins on Sunday evening and goes into Monday night. It's because they are very biblical in the way they look at a day. It says there was evening and there was morning, first day. Evening comes first. I digress. Anyway, so God sets to creating. That was free. I'm not even going to charge you for that one. God sets to creating things. He creates the heavens and the earth, and there's not a lot going on there. It's empty. It's, it, there's a void. Uh, there's darkness, and he's just kind of chilling out over the top. He's scoping things out, and he speaks light into his creation. He says, let there be light, and there was light. And he looks, and he's like, the light is good. And he continues on in this rhythm of creation. He creates, he creates the sky. He creates the land. He creates animals. He creates plants. All these things. After every time, he goes, this is, it's good. And he looks and he goes, this is good. And this is good. There's this rhythm of goodness of God's creation. Many, many cultures have creation stories. And, and almost all of them begin with this idea of nothingness, of emptiness, of, of water. They're all very um, similar themes in the creation stories of, of different cultures. And they all have some supernatural being or beings that are, are the active ingredient in creation. There's this one story that I read, and, and I forgot what culture it's from, but that the God created himself and then he set to creating, which I, I just still don't quite understand that one. But they all have this, this supernatural being or beings that are the catalyst for creation. And many, many of the stories, creation stories of other cultures, creation has come out of war or violence. The Babylonian story. Gods have children, and the children end up fighting each other because they make too much noise. And so there's this war that goes on, and this group of gods loses, and this other group of gods wins, and they take the, the leader of the other group and they cut her in half like a clamshell and they use her, one half to make the heavens and the other half to make the, the land. And out of her eyes flow the Tigris and the Euphrates River. This is how the Babylonians saw creation. And then the gods that lost, they're complaining because they have to work. They're, they're kind of indentured servants, if you will. And they have to continue to work. And they're complaining that we're gods. We shouldn't be working. And so the leader of the god on, on the winning side takes one of those gods that lost and they kill him. And they take his blood and they mix it with clay. And they take God's spit. This is the story. I kid you not. And they create humanity. And the story goes that we were created to be slaves. And many, many creation stories are founded in, in these acts of violence or war, but not our story. 
our story is very different. God creates to share. God creates to glorify his name. And God creates good right from the very beginning. And when he gets to creating people, he doesn't create them out of to be slaves. He creates us in his divine image. And at the end of all of this creation, he sits back and he goes, this is very good. And the thing is, God did not have to create. He was not lonely. He didn't need us, but he wanted to love and he wanted us to be recipients of his love and his goodness. And that's why he created. And then he gave us the garden and everything that we needed was in the garden. And he would walk among his creation. He enjoyed, I I believe, walking among his creation. Because it says in chapter 3 that he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve, they heard him coming and they already messed up. And so they hid. So it's seemingly God would do this. He would walk among his creation because they knew he was coming. But it was too late. Humanity messed up. They sinned. That disobedience and defiance came into the world and it ripped the very fabric of creation apart. And this thing that was very good is now broken. And we will no longer walk in harmony with God, but humanity will walk as his enemy. But it doesn't end there. God puts this plan into action, a plan to redeem, a plan to restore, a plan to reconcile, a plan that once again, creation will glorify his name. And he gets the ball rolling. The the stage has been set. God wants everything back to the way it was. And then we have to fast forward to the middle of our Bible. And this is what God speaks through Isaiah. He says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will, will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And this echoes back to the Genesis story of creation. But now in this new heaven, in this new earth, wrath and rebellion are gone. God is speaking of a time when the Messiah will have completed his work. And things will begin to be put back together again. God's original plan for creation will be fulfilled. You see, he's not, he's not locked into anything. At the time that this text was written, God wasn't locked into the way things were. In December 19th, 2010, God is not locked into the way that things are now. He is not stuck in the brokenness. He's a plan to make it all new. And he says the people are to rejoice and be glad because it's coming and it will last forever. Creation will be the way it was intended to be. And then all the way at the end of our Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, God continues to reveal his plan. Now, John is on this island. He's in exile, and and he has this amazing revelation. And this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and, the, and with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And so here it is again. At the end of all things, God's plan is realized. Once again, this echoes back to the Genesis story when God creates but now there's a new beginning. There's a new heaven, a new earth. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the old covenants, or the new covenant being superior and, and replacing the old. And so it is with the new heavens and the new earth that they will replace the olds. This is the setting, the eternal state for God's people. It will be a new reality, a completely new existence for us. Everything that was broken will be put back together again. And God will now dwell in the new Jerusalem. What's interesting is in chapter 7 of the book of Revelations, it talks about the saints that we will, that we will spend eternity in heaven. And in chapter 21 of the book of Revelations, it talks about the saints spending eternity in the new Jerusalem. And so that so, so heaven, that place where you go when you die, that place that's, that's unknowable, seemingly unknowable and indescribable and almost surreal, it's a, it's a very spiritual place, that place, and earth, our present reality, our physical, our physical reality, those two places at the end will come together and they will form one new reality. And it says that there will be no more seas. And we've talked about this over and over again. What the sea stood for in the Hebrew tradition, it was chaos. It was, it was everything just jumbled around. And for the ancients, the sea was a very symbolic, was very symbolic in just representing evil and wrong and negativity. And what the writer is saying here, that God will overcome all of those things when, the, when heaven and earth collide and form one new reality. And just like in the beginning when God made the garden, he will live among his people. You see, when Jesus Christ came, he made the glory of God visible for all humanity to see. And now, in this new heaven and new earth, communion between God and his people will once again be an absolute physical reality that God will be among us as Jesus was among the people as he walked the earth. And he will finally and once and for all remove the wage of sin because there will be no more death. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more mourning. And see, everything that you've gone through in this life, everything that you've lost in this life, every sorrow that you've experienced, every hurt that you've experienced, all the illness and sickness that you've had, 
those, those times when, when something has hurt you so deeply, it's, it's taken your breath away. Sometimes you feel like you've aged 20 years in that one experience. All of those things will be gone forever. And not only gone forever, you will have forgotten them. Because God says, I'm making everything new. John is describing here a loving God who is redeeming all things, including our physical reality. Everlasting joy will crown our heads and gladness will overtake us. And death, death will be destroyed once for all. This is how much God loves us. This is how much God loves you. That he is making right what we messed up. We broke it. It's our fault. But God loves us so much. He is making it right. Here's what I believe the Lord wants to tell you this morning. I may refer to my notes a little bit more because I want to get this right. Here's what I believe the Lord wants you to hear this morning. I've created you because I love you. And you broke it because you decided you wanted to do things on your own and go your own way. And you walked away from me. But I have never stopped loving you. And I'm going to make it right. I will fix it. I will bring you the joy and the gladness that you have been missing. I will make all things new and I'm going to put it back the way I originally intended it to be. And we will be together again. It's why I sent my son Jesus. Not because you loved me, but because I have loved you first. I want you home so bad to build you a new one. It's going to be amazing and beautiful. And we will walk through the city in the cool of the day. And I will no longer have to look for you like I did that day in the garden because you will be walking right by my side. And I will be your God and you will be my people. 